Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. As we, can you hear me? I think I do this every time. Am I good now? Every week. Every week I do this. As we jump into the series, the fundamentals, disciplines that change lives, I think it's important for each of you to know that whether it's myself or Ben or whoever it may be, This isn't us coming to you saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, otherwise you are a bad Christian. This is us coming to you after having been broken down and realizing that these are are habits, these are life-giving principles, these are disciplines that have been modeled out for us biblically that give life and life abundantly. This past week, this, it's, not me, it's not me pretending like I have all of the answers. It's not me getting up here and saying, hey, I have figured it all out. This past week has been me being broken down in the best way possible. And each week as we walk through this, it's a challenge for me because it's so convicting because these disciplines, it's like, oh man, I I wish I could master this. I wish I could master this. I wish I could master this. But the beautiful part is, it's not about us mastering the disciplines, but about us just living into it and allowing the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. And so as we walk over these disciplines and walk through them over the next couple months, don't, don't hear us do this, do this, do this, otherwise you're a bad Christian, but hear Hear how the Lord, how the Holy Spirit has been breaking us down and then us sharing that process with you. You, I get paid to get broken down and then just share that experience with you all on Sunday mornings. It's quite selfish, honestly. And today we're jumping, we're jumping into the discipline of prayer. We're jumping into this thing that is so confusing and so mysterious And it truly is a discipline. It goes against our very nature. Because to experience the greatness of it, along with all of these other disciplines, it takes perseverance. It takes hard work. It takes intentionality. But so does anything that's worth striving after. You know, as Christians, as humans, we are still in this broken world. And even though you might say, well, Justin, I prayed a prayer several years ago, a long time ago, I'm good. No, because you, my friend, are still in a broken world with an unglorified body. Going after cheap desires and placing your own priorities ahead of the priorities of the Lord. When we pursue spiritual disciplines... It's not us fixing ourselves. It's us saying, God, I need you to change me, to set me apart, to make me more and more and more like Jesus. This is the sanctified life. 
This is what happens when we pursue spiritual disciplines. And my friends today, to not pursue after spiritual disciplines is to not pursue after Christ. This isn't about legalism. This isn't about checking off a to-do list. This is saying, I value my relationship with Christ more than anything else in this world. And just like you would pursue a spouse, pursue a loved one, you are pursuing after Jesus in the same way, knowing that it doesn't necessarily make you in the relationship, but it will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, C.S. Lewis has this famous quote, and I've, I've probably shared this quote a half dozen times in my time here at NapNaz, but I want to share it with you again today. C.S. Lewis says this, it would, not, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. When we pursue the spiritual disciplines, we go further than just the mud pies. And we go after exactly what God has created us for. It's time we stop living being way too easily satisfied. And we start living into the greatness, the fulfilling, the peace-driven, sanctified life that Christ has for us. And so again, we are talking about prayer today. This very mysterious, very mysterious thing. Because if you ever want to silence a room, just start praying. The quickest way to silence a whole bunch of teenagers who won't just be quiet is just start praying. Actually, even better... Just ask, hey, who wants to pray for us? Eyes go down, man, they won't look at you for anything. Why? Why does this happen? Why is prayer so awkward? Why is prayer, even for many of us, embarrassing? When I mention it, when we talk about praying in front of people, we're like, no way! Why do we think it's just this elevated thing that only pastors can do? or the spiritual leaders. And yet, all throughout scripture, we see prayer, prayer, prayer being offered forth. I mean, we feel this, right? If you're in this room right now, more than likely you know that you should be praying. We don't need a sermon. We don't need 35 minutes dedicated to me telling you you need to be praying. We already know it. And if you don't pray, you need to be praying. There, I said it. But we struggle. We struggle with this idea. We read all throughout the Bible how when people pray, all of a sudden these amazing things happen. We see split, uh, seas being split open. We see the sun stand still. We see fire rain down from the skies. And yet when all we want to pray for is the winning numbers to the lottery, nothing seems to happen. Or when we pray for that loved one to conquer cancer and nothing seems to happen. 
or when we pray for them to overcome that, that injury, or when we pray for the financial security that we just want and desire for our family, or when all we're praying for is one good day at work, just one peaceful day at work, and it continues to evade us. We're saying, what is wrong? We read about all of these amazing miracles. What am I doing wrong? Why am I not experiencing prayer in the way that it was modeled for me in the Bible? What am I doing wrong? And so we feel this. We're asking, what am I doing wrong? But the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, the people of the Bible are really no better than us. I mean, think about it. Moses, who prayed and saw the Red Sea split open, he killed a man before that happened. Elijah, after he prayed for fire to, get, to rain down from the skies, Immediately after seeing fire rain down, he runs away because he thinks he's going to get killed. The man just prayed for fire and he saw it. If I did that, man, I'm not afraid of anything. At least I'd hope. You see, the people of the Bible, they're just as messed up as you and me are. Amen? Amen. So what if all of a sudden prayer wasn't just about being perfect or being pious or having that higher status? What if prayer wasn't even about the results that come afterwards or always seeing the big miracles? What if there was something different, something deeper, something more powerful than even fire raining down from heaven? What if the purpose of prayer isn't about you and me at all? And seeing our circumstances change or being perfect or having a formula to pray through. But if this isn't the case, then we need to be asking ourselves, what is the purpose of prayer? If prayer is not about us being perfect or about seeing circumstances change, about seeing the big miracles, then what is the purpose of prayer? Friends, today, instead of walking through every single incidence of prayer in the Bible... You're welcome. I want to take us back to the very beginning. The very beginning of the church. The very beginning as the apostles were waiting, wondering what in the world is going to happen. Jesus is gone. Now what's left? How did the apostles see prayer? What did they do? How were they praying? What were they praying for. This is where we're going to be today. So if you would like to join me, I would encourage you, open up to the book of Acts. We're going to see Acts 1, 2, and 3 very briefly, and then we're going to land right there in 4. And I believe as we walk through these pieces of scripture, we're going to see exactly the deeper, more fulfilling purpose to prayer that goes well beyond the miracles. Immediately we see in Acts 1, 14. Acts 1.14 says this, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Great. This is before Pentecost even. Acts 1.14. Acts 1.24 says this, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. I know I'm not giving you the context here, 
But I wanna show you exactly how often these, these apostles, the, the beginning Christians, how often they just were devoted to prayer. Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to what? To prayer. Acts 3.1. And one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Friends, today, this is the beginning of the church. As we know it today, 2,000 years ago, this is how the church formed. This is how the apostles treated prayer. They were devoted to it, constantly in it. And it's the example for you and for me. But here's what's interesting. I just listed off the first four mentions of prayer in the book of Acts. The first four mentions of prayer for the Christian church. Out of these four incidences, only one of them is dedicated to seeing a specific, tangible thing answered. Only one of them. Only one of them, and we are told, of a specific request being answered, of a specific circumstance being changed. So all of a sudden we have to ask ourselves, what exactly are they praying for? What exactly is going on? What is the foundation they are building for prayer? Because all of a sudden we're seeing, wait a minute, maybe God is more than just a genie in a bottle that we can go to and asking for all of our requests whenever we want. Because through, through Acts, through Luke, the Holy Spirit is clearly not focused on seeing specific things answered and circumstances changed. So we have to ask ourselves, then what in the world is going on? What are they devoting themselves to for so often? What in the world is going on? Well, if we know, just as C.S. Lewis said, that as humans we are way too easily satisfied, all of a sudden we, get, we have to begin asking ourselves this question, well, wait a minute. What does the rest of the world ask for when they pray? When all they do, they're not focused on the relationship, but when they, go to the, when they go to God to pray, what is the rest of the world looking to and asking for? And whatever that answer is, then maybe we should be a little bit different. And if the rest of the world is saying, I just want to see this miracle. I just want to see this circumstance change. I just want to see X, Y, Z, tangible requests across the board. Then maybe all of a sudden, if our answer is the same, we need to be like, Ooh. maybe I'm missing something. Because all of a sudden, when we begin to get focused on everything that this world is focused on, then all of a sudden, no one is seeing Jesus. Because all the world sees is us doing the same exact thing that they're doing. And the thing about it is, is that when we pray for our family member to go conquer cancer or to overcome this injury or to find financial security, and that's not getting answered, and we have no explanation for it because all we were focused on was the circumstance rather than the person we were praying to, then the people who don't believe, then our children are confused, and they're like, well, wait a minute. How good is God actually? And we offer no explanation because we have been focused on the same things the world has been focused on. You know, there was one point in time, I, I've shared this story. I've shared this story before on this stage. Uh, but I, I believe it's so poignant for, for what's going on. I was once a youth minister down in Texas 
for just under two years as I was in seminary. And in that youth group was a, was a young girl who had been clinically diagnosed with depression. This wasn't circumstantial depression. This was clinical depression. She had seen counselors. She had seen, she had seen doctors. And I was unaware of this when I entered into this ministry. Young, ignorant, naive seminary student. And the only thing I cared about was talking to my students about the goodness of God. God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. Well, here this girl is, eighth grader, diagnosed with clinical depression. The major, so much of her life was just this numb darkness. And here I am, this ignorant, naive, young seminary student, thinking God is the best thing in the world, which he is. And, but all I'm communicating is this. So then she comes to me after, I don't know, a couple months of me trying to earn my trust and rapport with the youth group. And she takes me out of the youth room right outside. And she just looks at me and she's like, you talk about the goodness. of This is an eighth grader. You talk about the goodness of God. If God is so good, then why does he keep allowing me to sit in this darkness? because I don't feel the goodness of God in my life, and you say it all the time, but I can't feel anything. And in that moment, I didn't have a single answer for her. Because the goodness of my God was based on circumstances. The goodness of my God was limited to everything he had done in my life and how he had gotten me through X, Y, Z. And yes, that is a sign of the goodness of God, but I couldn't articulate to this girl how the goodness of God goes beyond circumstances. Friends, when we are focused on the circumstances and God answering in these miraculous ways, and we're, when we're only focused on the things of the world, we leave our children and we leave unbelievers out in the darkness wondering, why can't I experience that? Friends, today there is something more to prayer, to the goodness of God, than simply fire raining down from the heavens. And it's beautiful, and it's what's being offered to us. But when we're only focused on fire raining down from heaven, we forget everybody else around us. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray for circumstances to change. That is biblical. That is biblical to pray for circumstances to change, to pray for big miracles, to pray boldly and audaciously. That is biblical. But let us not place in first place what should be second place. Because when we place what is first place or what should be second place into first place, we lose everything. Friends, today, when we ask the question, what is the purpose to prayer? Well, the beginning of this answer is us understanding that it's simply more than just results that we're hoping for. It goes beyond the results because when we don't get the results we're hoping for, we still have to answer as to the goodness of God in our lives. And you might be asking, well, what in the world does this have to do with prayer? How is the goodness of God connected with my prayer life? How is prayer, what is the discipline? Tell me what the discipline is, Justin. Just get to the, just get to the tangibles. Well, we have to understand what prayer is first. 
before we can get into this idea. Because if we don't understand what it is, then we can give all the checklist items to go out and do. And eventually that will just fade away. But the minute we begin to halfway understand what prayer is, then we actually have a foundation to rest upon so that when, even when we don't feel like it, we know it is still good. And so let's go to our fifth instance of prayer in the book of Acts. Acts 4.23. Acts 4.23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should Happen Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Friends, this, this is a prayer by Peter and John and the disciples of the early church as the church was just beginning. Now, to give some context to what is going on here, Peter and John had just performed a miracle. They had healed a man who had been lame for 40 years since he was was born. And in doing so, it gave them the opportunity to preach the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the Sadducees are like, wait a minute, we told you not to do this. And they're like, we gotta listen to God, not listen to you. Chief priests found that hard to argue against. They're like, fine. Do what you gotta do, but we're gonna beat you real quick and we're just gonna hope that scares you out of it. And in the midst of beating them and releasing them, Peter and John go back to the rest of the people and they begin to praise God. And here's what's interesting. Here's what's powerful. Here's the true tell sign of what we need to be looking for when we're looking at the discipline of prayer. Because instead of praying for the persecution to end, catch this, instead of praying for the persecution to end, what do they pray for? They pray for boldness to continue walking in the midst of the persecution. They begin to praise God for his sovereign reign. They don't ask for the circumstances to get better. They ask for their attitudes to change despite the circumstances. They ask for their hearts to be renewed. In the midst of the negative circumstances, they ask for the strength of God where the strength of humans ceases to exist. Peter and John and the people, they recognize that the glory of God is magnified, not when their lives are made easy, not when the persecution ends, but when God provides a strength where no human can last on their own. And in the midst of asking for this boldness, 
in the midst of not concentrating on the persecution itself, in the midst of asking for their hearts and their minds to be emboldened, to be renewed. Look what happens. Verse 31. After they prayed, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Friends, these are individuals who have already experienced Pentecost, the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. These These are people who have already placed their faith in Christ and received the Holy Spirit, knew what it is to be one in relationship with God. And yet we are told in this moment that they were once again filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to walk in all boldness through the circumstances that they had found themselves in. Friends, today, the world, the world in general, anybody can praise God when life is easy. That's average. I have a friend who told me over the last few weeks, it's too easy to be average. It's too easy to be average. Christians are called to want something more than just the average, easy life. Christians are called to more, to glorify God in the midst of the more, in spite of the circumstances around them. We are called to be more. Prayer was something greater to the disciples than simply a means to an end. The disciples were not devoting themselves in all of these instances of prayer. They were not devoting themselves to have their circumstances change, to have this perfect, easy-going life. They were devoting themselves to growing their relationship with God. I mean, look at how they cry out to God. Peter and John had just been beaten. And they come not saying, God, heal our injuries. They say, God, give us boldness. But even before that, they say, God, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're placing God exactly where he needs to be as the all-sovereign creator of this earth and universe. They praise God. They magnify his glory. And then look at how the answer comes down. They were filled with God himself. The answer involved going deeper in the relationship with God that had already begun. Friends, today, prayer is not a simply a tool to find a better life. Prayer is the better life. But so often we use it as a means to find the solution, to find the answer. God, if you'd only provide me this, then I would have the better life. And he says, no, don't you realize that when you're in prayer, you're in active relationship. You're an active participant in this two-way road of a relationship with me, God of the universe who created you for specific works to advance my kingdom. Friends, today, this discipline of prayer isn't found simply because we want things to change. It's found and it's necessary and it's significant and important because in doing so, we are drawn closer to God and we become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. You tell me, what is more significant? The person who has a house built on sand 
and has this perfect, easygoing life, but is in constant fear of one thing of wind coming down and blowing everything away. Or the person who has a house built on a strong foundation so that even when winds are coming and even though their life, even though their house is being pelted with hail and wind and rain and storms like none other, they are resting in the peace knowing that that house will never fail. You tell me, what is the greater life? The peace-driven, sanctified life. This is what prayer gives us. If you were to go through the book of Acts, you would see that because of their devotion to prayer, because they have realized that there is something greater than circumstances, the, the disciples, the Christians of this age, they begin selling everything. They begin to have this understanding, we don't need everything that we think we need. Because they have discovered that in the midst of this prayer life, in the midst of this relationship, active relationship with God, they need nothing more than God. Than resting in God himself. I mean, think about it. Think about the reason that God sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. It wasn't because, believe it or not, it wasn't because... In doing so, we were going to get everything we've ever wanted. Jesus didn't die so that you could have the perfect life that you ever dreamed of, the perfect marriage, the perfect loved ones. Jesus didn't die to make you happy. Jesus died so that you and I could be in relationship with our Father and so that we could experience the infinite joy that is offered to us so that we could move beyond just the mud pies in a slum. This is the discipline of prayer. I mean, think about it. Last week, Ben used the illustration of marriage. I mean, can you imagine? And they're right here in the front row, so I'm going to just right here. Can you imagine if the only time Ben approached Kristen was when he wanted something? Can you imagine the state of their marriage if, only, if the only time Ben went up to Kristen and said, I want this, this, and this, and I expect this by the end of today. And if you don't, then that determines the goodness of you. Friends, how much more so then should our relationship with Christ, with God our Father, be consumed with pursuing after, being still in the presence of him. How much more so should prayer not be so much focused on God fixing everything that's wrong in our lives, but us going to God and saying, you are sovereign, you are wonderful, you are majestic, you are amazing, you are fulfilling. God, I love you. How much more so should we just be still before our God embracing his embrace, being satisfied with him, knowing that every instance that we are with him, we are being made more and more like his son. How much more so? You laugh when I use this illustration. Are you laughing now when it comes to God? And yet so often we limit our prayers to God do this, this, and this. I need it by tomorrow. We have limited God 
because we have limited understanding and expectations. We think fire raining down from heaven would be the greatest thing in the world when in fact God is saying, I am making you more and more like my son. And friends, if you would allow me, that will be the greatest thing you will ever experience. The question is, are you willing to move past the mud pies in the slum to experience the infinite joy of a holiday at sea? Because it takes intentionality, it takes perseverance. It takes discipline. It requires you to get up from the mud and recognize that there's something more out there. It is a spiritual discipline. And this is why we are focusing all this right now. So my question today right now is, are you praying as awkward and confusing and mysterious and maybe even embarrassing as it is, are you praying? Don't you see that prayer in and of itself is simply a relationship? It's a tool for the relationship. It's a tool by which we experience the better life. It's not a tool that gives us a better life. It is a tool by which we experience the better life. There is nothing more significant than being in active relationship with God, what is the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is to know and be known by the God of the universe. But friends, it's not as easy as simply going up to the apple tree and finding the lowest hanging apple there. We get to climb to the top and see everything that is offered for us. Are you willing to make God your number one? Or are your circumstances number one? The purpose of prayer is to know and be known by the God of the universe who has created you for specific works, who has created you with a purpose in mind, who has created you so that he could love you in ways you have never experienced before. This, friends, is what it means to experience the peace-driven, sanctified life. This is the beginning of understanding the mysterious discipline of prayer. Are you praying this week? What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? How are you praying? Are you being still or are you just demanding? Are you praising or are you just crit criticizing, complaining? Think about your own relationships. Think about how you want to strive after loving on somebody. How are you doing that even more so with God? How are you experiencing everything? Everything that he would have you experience. You don't have to overcomplicate it. You don't have to make it more than what it is. Outside of simply understanding, God wants you to know him and for him to know you. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, I think it's appropriate. And after I pray, each week over the course of the next couple of months, we're gonna close with a benediction, so don't get up too quickly. In some weeks we'll say it together, in some weeks I, I would just invite you to receive it. But each week I would, I would, I would encourage you. This benediction comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Would you make this part of your prayer life, 
This week, would you make this, would you make this a part of how you communicate to God? And so, Father, we come to you today. And, Father, we thank you because you are sovereign. You are wonderful and majestic and completely in control. And, God, we give everything to you. We praise your holy name. And, God, I pray right now that you would increase my prayer life, that you would increase my understanding, that you would increase my awareness of you being all that there is. Give me the strength and the perseverance and the courage to pray boldly and audaciously, but to never forget that your goodness runs past my circumstances. Make this a discipline in my life, God, to experience more and more of you so I can become more and more like your son. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. And so as you go, as you go this morning, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Pray. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.